Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee with Casey. We take about a half hour out of every week, bring you up to speed on the market conditions and what's happening, any points of interest, interest I think everybody needs to keep up with. Today, we're going to definitely talk about analyzing the market and where it's going. Obviously, it was very hot. Now it's slowing some, and I'm going to show you in some areas slowing more than others. Um, topics today we're going to talk about are, you know, keeping the family home in the family. I, on a Facebook group of, you know, because I grew up here in Vienna, a lot of people complain that their homes have been torn down and their, you know, big mansions are going up in their place and yada, 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 which is progress. But we're going to talk about how to keep the family home in the family if that's what your choice is, you know, how you do that. Um, I'm also going to bring to everybody's attention a very dangerous game a major realtor is playing with your money. It is a, it is, um, is not a good idea. And uh, it, it really, I share the same opinion as some of the heads of Keller Williams and Long and Foster and places like that about coming out against this. So we'll talk about that. And I'm also, you know, it's funny. Uh, this week we were in Asheville, North Carolina. We were at the home of the largest residential property in America. And of course, if pricing properties for a living is your job, the first thing I'm looking at is how in the heck would I price this house? So what is the value of the largest house in America? And that is the Biltmore Estate, Nashville, North Carolina. It is 175,000 square feet. Now, let's put that in perspective. A big house in, in our area is 5,000 square feet. So that is, let me see, how many houses would have to be in that Biltmore? A lot. A lot of houses would be in 175,000 square foot house. I don't know what I had, 35 bedrooms, you know, 48 bathrooms, um, had a cool bowling alley in the basement, uh, had 10, 12 dressing rooms just for the pool in the basement. Um, so it was, it was quite a spectacular uh, time. And I'll just share with you kind of, oh, by the way, this is how I priced that house. And I didn't look at what other people thought about it. Um, you know, I wanted to price it raw. And, and when it was all said and done, I looked at the Associated Press, what they said it was worth, and we got pretty close. So, so let's get going. Let's talk about, um, and, and one other thing you have, um, um, they came out with the top 10 builders in Vienna. If I had to name five of the best builders in Vienna, three of them were not even on the list. And to not put Dan Somerville on the best uh, builder list in Vienna is a crime, along with Pat Stack, who is Jefferson Homes. Um, and Joe over at Battle Street. I mean, those are three, those would be, you know, some of the first three phone calls I make if I was gonna build a house and none of those three are on the list. So I don't know who makes up that list, but, um, but anyways, we'll talk about that in a little while. Let's, let's, let's first talk about the market. Now the market, is it slowing? Is it not slowing? The, the one problem is when you get sales results, the sales results are on, on sales that happened 45 days ago on decisions that were made 45 days prior to that by buyers. So we like to get out in front of all of that and figure out what is the inventory on the market? How many homes went under contract this week? What are the percentages? What does the market look like this week? So in order to get that done, we're gonna go back and we're gonna go on to a quick um, charts. And you know, we like charts because I'm a visual guy and I need to, uh, I need to take a look at the charts. So let's go to, uh, let's go in here to some charts. All right, so here's, here's basically what it looks like. All right, 
Let me see if this pops up for you here. All right. So, so this is the chart of what percentage of homes are under contract at any one time. And these are the markets that I've decided to pick on. So you got Vienna between 500 and a million dollars. You have Vienna over a million dollars. You have Oakton between 500 and a million. Oakton over a million, Oak Hill and Virginia run. So the blue is how many homes is under contract. Now this is always important to me. And no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, if you're a realtor and you're analyzing Falls Church or, or Ashburn or where, you've got to know these numbers, right? So of the 10 homes that compete with me, how many are under contract and how many are still active? And that's gonna be what the competition is. So over here, we look at it. And the first one is 46. Okay, so out of 10 homes on the market, 4.6 are under contract, right? So if it's under 33, that is a buyer's market. So that means for every three houses on the market, two are active. So that is not a good market. That is a buyer controlled market. And by buyer's market, I mean the buyers have control of the market. It's more in their favor than the seller's favor. So when you get over 60, now it's a seller's market. Now the sellers have control. So if there are 10 homes listed, six or more are under contract, right? So when that happens, you're in a seller's market and the sellers have control. The sellers have the leverage in that market. So let's break these markets down. And this is a little, you know, the orange box is, is pretty much more important than the blue box. So I've explained that the 46, 56, that is how many homes are, are under contract. And I'll analyze those in a second. Let's look at the orange. The orange, is the inventory growth. How many homes were put on the market? 34. How many homes sold? 14. Okay, that's 20 more houses are in inventory than were in inventory last month or you know prior to this 14 days. So the question is, is inventory growing or shrinking? And that's very important to me and to other realtors and to sellers is if the inventory is growing, then not only is the market between 500 and 1 million soft, it's getting softer. So this means there's more inventory coming on the market. It is getting softer than normal. So, you know, it's kind of weird because normally the softer market is the bigger market. So here's Vienna under a million and here's Vienna over a million. So Vienna over a million is closer to a seller's market than under a million. And the inventory isn't growing as fast as it is under a million dollars. So look at the growth of Vienna under a million dollars in the last 14 days. So it's growing. So it's getting worse. So it's not getting better. It's getting worse. I would see over a million as a little more stable. Okay. Then we have Oakton. Oakton is about 55% seller's market. Not huge seller's market, but seller's market. And their inventory has grown 10%. <clears throat> growing, but not significantly, okay? Now we look at Oakton over a million. 43% of the homes are under contract and only has a growth rate of three. So there's not a lot coming on, but it is as close to a buyer's market as you're going to get in this area. So this is why you need to analyze each market. Look at how Vienna under a million is a softer market than Vienna over a million. And it's the exact opposite when you go to Oakton. 
right? So when you go to Oakton, the homes over a million are soft and under a million are not. So, you know, when I'm pricing houses, what is the market condition is always important. Now you see Oak Hill, still strong market, 61%, 12% growth. Okay, they're, so they're getting there. And then you have a 19% growth in Virginia run. This just means more people are putting houses on the market than, than are going under contract. So 69 is still strong. Look for that to soften. Look for basically all of these to soften except for Oakton um, over a million dollars. They're gonna, they're gonna stay put somewhere around 43. So there you are. Now, if somebody calls me from Falls Church or McLean or Great Falls or Ashburn, we have to do this chart for everybody. So we look at it and we say, what are our chances, right? How much is on the market? How much is under contract? What kind of growth do we have? Is there more inventory or less inventory? So these are all things that go into the calculation when you're deciding, what am I gonna price this house? This chart is just the bottom under 30% is basically, that's a buyer's market. So you can see we're all clearly in either a neutral market or a seller's market. And then the yellow in the middle, that's a neutral market. You know, kind of nobody's really in control. It takes a good house to sell. And then over in the green, that's when you really get into the seller's market. So those kind of just something to think about. If it drops below 30, your buyer's market, 30 to 50, let's call that a neutral market. Over 50, we're calling that a seller's market. Okay. And that's basically where we are as far as the market conditions are concerned. So let me get back to or out of the out of the chart portion of this. Um, let me see if I can find you guys again. And get back to my screen, which I don't know where the hell it is. There it is, right there. Okay. So so we're going to stop sharing and now we're back. All right. So the first thing we need to know is, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? The market is getting softer. Um, we do not have as strong a buyer pool as we did before. You must be more, um, you can't be as aggressive. And, and I'm not an advocate being aggressive anywhere. We just, we settled on a house the other day where we weren't aggressive. We went to 950. Okay. We priced a house at 950. Um, we wanted to stand her a million. We went to 950. It just settled for 1.125. So that's 175,000 over list price. There was one buyer. There was one contract. There was nobody else that was writing a contract on that house. They just settled on a house for 175,000 over what they initially offered. And they were the only buyer. So when we think about the psychic of selling early and, and getting that done, then, you know, that's what plays into it. You're going to get that in the first weekend. If you overprice, you miss the market in the first weekend. I can't say that enough to the sellers. If you overprice, when you miss that first weekend, you lose any opportunity of getting that hundred or $150,000 benefit and again, of the eight houses we settled in uh, June or a contract or settled in June, I think the average was $137,000 per house. So when, when we give that advice, there are tens, if not tens of thousands of dollars at stake, if not 100,000, if not 150,000. So, so 
these are not times that you want to um, buck the advice of professionals, all right? So listen to your realtor. If you're a realtor, analyze the market, analyze the price, be risk averse. In other words, let's not get too aggressive on your pricing. <clears throat> if it's gonna go over 150 or 150, let them do it. But by pricing it where the market is, at least you're gonna get the biggest buyer pool. And if they're gonna bid it up, they'll bid it up. If, if the price is not there, the price is not there. So like I always said, we wanna be like Trey Turner. We wanna hit for average. We wanna make sure we get on base pretty much all the time. And we wanna hit bombs every now and again. We don't wanna be my hero, Frank Howard, where he got up there and if he didn't hit a bomb, he was gonna strike out. But he was sure as hell gonna look like he's hitting a bomb. So, you know, we wanna hit for average and still be able to hit bombs because chicks dig the long ball, as I tell all my baseball players. All right, so let's go to, let's go to another subject. You know, I run into a lot of people that, um, I'm not gonna say complain, I understand. People grew up in Vienna, they got their family home, it's been knocked down, another house been put up. There's some resentment of the, of the new taking over the old. I, I mean, I totally understand that, we all are emotional. But how can you keep that family home in the family? I mean, in 45 minutes, my family is gonna keep the grandparents home in the family. So um, grandma's, uh, grandpa's gone, grandma's in a, you know, a nursing home. It's time to make a decision on what we're gonna do with the house. <clears throat> so she wants to sell it to the grandson, my son, and he's gonna buy the house and start his family in Vienna in the same home where I met my wife and met her parents, you know, a long, long time ago. And, and we'll continue to have barbecues in that backyard. So, so what you may wanna look for when you have grandma and grandpa's home is, is this a good fit for anyone in the family first? And to be honest with you, never occurred to me until grandma said, I want Kevin to own that house. Well, we can make that happen, but it really didn't occur to me until she said that. And it's a great idea and it's a great way for young people to get started, for parents and grandparents to help the younger kids um, get up. And the way you can do this is let's say the, the, the son, or in this case, Kevin, he would put up a down payment and the mother, the grandmother would hold a first trust, which means that the grandson's paying grandma interest every month, plus some principal. So, so they're, instead of paying rent and throwing that away, grandma's getting a good return, a good interest payment every month to support her. So she's actually receiving interest every month on a house that was she was receiving nothing on so you know they uh, uh, the kid can put up a down payment money goes into grandma's account the kid can pay interest on the balance money going into grandma's account he can pay principal on that to pay the principal down and before you know it my, uh, grandma has income to you know live on or some help support her and the grandson has a house or granddaughter has a house in Vienna, um, where it's very hard to get in and get a single family home in Vienna. So, so the first place you might wanna look, if you're talking about grandma and grandpa's house, do any kids want the house? Do any kids wanna own that house? Most of the homes are paid off. There is no financing on it. There is no mortgage on it. The, the grandparents can be the lender. They can hold the first trust, the grandchild, 
or kids can give them a down payment, pay them interest on it. And then eventually it has what's called a balloon note. So in two years, he's got to refinance and give grandma all the money. And then she's out and she's done. So this saves a lot of realtors fees, which is kind of tough on a, when dad's a realtor, but it saves realtor fees. You don't have to go through all the lenders. It's simple. It's down payment. Grandma gets the interest. She plays the bank. She's secured because she has a deed of trust, a promissory note. Um, you know, she's going to be treated like every other lender, just like she's Bank of America with um, title insurance and everything. So, so anyways, if you're thinking about that, you can give me a call, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to, you know, give you the formula for that. But, but that's one way to keep that Vienna home or wherever you live, uh, Centerville, uh, Oak Hill, Falls Church. It's a way to keep the property in the family get the older folks, the grandparents or parents, get them some income and give the kids a chance to come back to their family home, start their family in the family home inexpensively. And, you know, by saving 40 or $50,000 in realtors fees, you know, you can cut them a deal and I think it's best for the whole family. So just something, something to think about. Now, I'm gonna go back online and I'm gonna show you something that is extremely dangerous. When I heard about it, is an article in the Washington Post, uh, my jaw just fell to the floor and I could not believe that a major room was doing it. Now, uh, Boomer Foster over at Long and Foster is, is basically saying the exact same thing I'm gonna say right now in that this is a terrible idea for, um, for the, the consumer, the consumer. Okay, so I'm going to take you back out. We're going to go on the web here real quick. Share my screen. Find my. Boom. Compass. They're going to have a private exclusive listing. And what they're going to say here is, you know, dis discretion. Value. Just list it within the company. Okay. Just list it within our company, just the agents. That is a horrible idea. That is an absolute horrible idea. And I can't think of, um, now I have families that don't want anyone in their house. They don't want anybody to walk in their house. They're deadly afraid of COVID. Um, in fact, I've got sellers that make me wear booties over my socks and then spray me down coming into the house when I walked into the house. So I've been sprayed down going out. That's how afraid of COVID they are because they have elderly people that may live in the house. And we can sell that house without tromping through a thousand people, you know, a hundred people on a weekend. You can make that happen. But the key is you must open up your house to the largest possible audience and the largest amount of people that you possibly can give them an opportunity to at least see it online, to at least be able to bid on it. Now, again, the top bidders or three bidders, those three may walk through that house and we've agreed to contracts. They may walk through that house when we go live, but only three, because we've already got contracts on it. So, so for the very, uh, the people that are very concerned, now they're talking about divorce. I got plenty of people that are divorced selling houses. So, you know, if you're going to get the maximum amount of money for your home, 
The only way to do that is to offer it to the largest buyer pool you possibly can and give them an opportunity to see it, bid on it, um, and, and make their highest and best offers. And, and I will tell you, that is really the only way to do it. Now, what Compass is doing is they're going to keep a private stash of listings and make you feel exclusive. And what that means is you're going to be able to sell to their listings. So of the top 10 realtors in Vienna, only one is a Compass realtor. So what you're planning on doing is eliminating nine out of 10 of the top realtors in Vienna. And you're eliminating 92% of the realtor community. So, so, and this is a note to anybody that's a FISBO or whatever. The realtors have the clients, okay? The realtors have the clients. And to bypass the realtors is a massive mistake. Nobody would do that. If a realtor is selling their own home, they put it in the MLS. And again, George Shaffron started this back in, I think it was the early 70s. You know, I give him all the credit for developing the multiple listing service where all listings were put in, all realtors can look at it, all buyers have an opportunity to buy it. And by doing that, you increase the exposure of each house and increase the price. So your number one source of buyers is real estate agents. That's the MLS, that's our number one target. Forget about, I know Zillow, forget about that. If you're a real buyer, you have a realtor. If you're a real buyer, you have a stored search. If you're a real buyer, you are in a vacuum where if anything comes into your vacuum, you can analyze it quickly, judge it and say, this is what I'm looking for, not what I'm looking for. But when, you, when a company like Compass says, just do an exclusive listing and, and talks you into just listing with a company, with just their agents seeing it, that is wrong. That is dead wrong. And I don't know how they got away with it or what they're doing or how private or exclusive. And that's why if you talk to realtors, you know, sometimes some things sound good, but they just don't work. Uh, international MLSs, it sounds good. It doesn't work. I mean, come on, 2% of the people are coming from um, out of the country. And of that, most are buying in the less than $500,000 price range if you look at the stats. So, and, you know, all of our properties on the internet, the internet is international. So anytime somebody says, you know, international MLS, okay, it's just ridiculous. That doesn't mean anything. You have your buyers are working with local realtors. They're coming in from out of town or out of state or out of the country, but they have local realtors and that's who's funneling them their, their properties. So the number one focus is MLS. To, lock, to knock out 92% of the realtors is just flat out wrong. It's just absolutely wrong. I hope this whole program falls in their face. I know every realtor has to have gimmicks to make them look different than everybody else or more sophisticated. But the word private exclusive, it means I'm going to cut out 92% of the market. I don't know in any marketing class or any marketing information you can ever find where they say the best way to get a price is to cut your market down by 92%. So anyways, enough of that. I mean, that just really upset me. I couldn't believe what I was, I couldn't believe what I was reading and seeing. And I did get the response from Keller Williams. I did get the response from Boomer at Long and Foster. And, um, and I was pretty much right on T with what I was thinking. Um, so anyways, forget about the exclusives. 
if you are concerned, and we did an article on this, if you're concerned about people walking in your house because of COVID or Delta variant or whatever it is, I mean, look, this was two weeks ago, I got sprayed down, right? So people are still concerned about COVID. It is a concern, but because there is buyers out there, you can market it. So we market heavily in coming soon. So you put it on during coming soon, everything is ready to go. Just like a normal launch, you launch it using geofencing and Google ads and MLS and emails to the, to all the realtors and brochures to all the neighbors and cards to all the renters. So all of that is done in the coming soon. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to open the net up to catch as many buyers as we possibly can that may be interested. This is during the coming soon period. Okay. Now, during the coming soon period, they will get their emails from their realtors. They will click on it and say, this is a favorite. This is a favorite. This is a possible. It's a possible. So we can look at a home before it's launched, before it even goes live, and tell the seller, do you have buyers that are going to write contracts on your house? How many buy contracts should you prepare for? Because inevitably, on Thursday, somebody's going to say, I'll give you full price. I'll give you full price, all cash, no contingencies, take it. Or it's, it's dead in 12 hours if you don't take it. Well, we've got to look at it and say, hmm, I've got 10 people favoring it. That's going to equate to three or four contracts. So I know I've got that price. I'm looking at how much I can get over list price. I've got 22 people favoring this house. We're going to get murdered. We're going to get 100,000 or 125,000 over list price. So sometimes you price a home, most times you price a home to encourage bidding. So, you know, it's open it up to the biggest audience during coming soon. Read how many people love it on Facebook, favorite on MLS. Um, how many people, how long do people stay on your, um, on your website, Google Analytics? You know, they stay for six and a half minutes. Man, they are loving this house. We got 180 people that have come through and they are loving this house. We got all these people commenting and sharing and faring and favorites going to get murdered. Just stand by, we're going to get $150,000 over. Or we can go to a seller and say, you've got one person favoring this house. That is not enough to generate contracts. We are coming out overpriced. We've got to drop the price 50,000 before we launch. Then get this. We did this on Silkwood. House we just settled on Silkwood. We were coming out 50,000. We were getting no love on that house. We dropped it $50,000. We launched the listing. We got one buyer and that buyer offered 150,000 over list price. We had no buyers over at the, you know, I think we were one, four, five. We dropped it to one, four, dropped it to one, four. We got one interested party, one contract. They came in at one, four. We said that with an escalation clause, I said, no escalation clause, highest and best offer. They bring us back their offer. It's $150,000 over. No home inspection, no appraisal, one buyer. And, and really, I don't think we get that buyer if we stayed at 1.45 million. We had to drop the price to get to a buyer pool where we could at least get somebody that liked us. And we did. One person. Now we're going from a, a, a mob scene in the spring to 
a neutral market in the summer. So you need to read what's going on. You need to know, you know, a couple houses launched this weekend. We knew one was going to get murdered and we knew one was just barely had enough. And, and hopefully we've got a contract coming in on it. But, you know, sellers wanted to be 100,000 over where they are. We had to drop to where it should be. And, and still no contract yet. So we would have really wasted our time 150. You can't think of, you know, they got 150 over, you're gonna get another 150 over that number. You're not, you'd be lucky to get that number. So let's just, let's just be realistic about pricing, know your numbers, know your market, know where we're going, whether we're going up and down, and that's how you need to price your home and market your home, okay? So, so let's see, we talked about the family house, we talked about the worst idea of all time, and that is an exclusive listing where they just offer to their own company. Why do they do that? Why would any realtor say, we're just going to offer it to our own agents and nobody else? Hmm. Because they get commissions on both sides. It's the only reason. It's greed, it's greed, and then it's more greed. So if anybody offers you that, opportunity to do exclusive and just call another realtor and call another realtor in there and have them get it done. And if any person from Compass wants to debate me on the subject, give me a call. 703-508-2535. If they want to sit on the board of NVAR or have a debate in any place in any public forum, I'd be happy to talk to them about it. But, you know, when you get into a living room and you have a very polished agent and they start pushing that on you, you know, you don't know. Bad idea. So they came up with the top 10 builders in Vienna. It's 1130 and I got to run. I got to get to Kevin Settlement. Top 10 builders in Vienna. They didn't even put in my top three. So if I had to call five guys, right? I think the number one builder in Vienna you got to give is John Sikas because John Sikas is, uh, has, has got more, more houses and, and builds a house that is easy for us to sell. I, I would say if I had any house that's easy to sell, it's a John Sikas house. Uh, Tommy Stotts has a big name and people do pay a premium for that house. We just sold the Flint Hill house. Flint Hill house was $101.45 million house. Um, um, and it was a Tommy Stotts house. And we pushed Tommy Stott's house and we got 1.65 million for that house. So it was 200,000 over what I thought it was worth. Um, and uh, and I, I threw his name out there, right? And that's what we did. And I didn't think that spectacular, but put his name out there. Dan Somerville is one of the best builders in Vienna and how he didn't make that list, I do not know. But Dan Somerville would be on my top five. Um, Pat Stack from Jefferson Homes would be, again, on my top five. And Joe, and I can never pronounce his last name, at Battle Street would be in my top five. So those are three guys in the top five that are not on the top five, uh, not on the top 10 list. I don't even know. There's one called Zinky or something on there. I haven't even heard of these guys. And I know who the other builders are. And if you're looking for a builder, um, I, 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 equate this to when Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid were talking, he says, who's the best lawman? He goes, you mean the toughest or the best tracker? Or what, you know, which, what are you talking about? And it's the same thought with the builder. Well, what do you want? I mean, if you want the most impressive house, 
um, with the $15,000 front door, that's Tommy Stott's house. If you want a really economically well-built, you know, that by the number and you don't care about the name, then NDI does a really good job. If you want one of Vienna's custom builders, it's a Dan Somerville, it's a Pat Stack, it's a, uh, a Joe, um, again, I don't know his last name, Battle, Battle Street Builders. Um, you know, th those are all great builders, but there's, there's a lot of them. I mean, they don't give credit to American development, which is uh, 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 Steve Dredge, and, and Steve builds a great house. I mean, look, he's a tough guy. He builds a great house, okay? But there are builders that you need to have, a, if you're gonna either just buy a house, it doesn't matter. But if you're gonna build a house, you need to work with somebody that's easy to work with, right? So I'm picking Dan Somerville, I'm picking Pat Stack, I'm picking Joe, I'm picking some of these other guys that are easy to work with. If I wanna buy a house that's the best resale, I'm picking, a, I'm probably going after a Seekus house. Um, Rob Fisher, another great builder in Vienna that I, that I would put in the same class. So the Dan Somerville, the Pat Stack, the Rob Fisher, um, those are all kind of comparable, really well, high quality builders. And it really depends on who has the lot. I mean, where are the good lots, right? You got to find a good lot. All right. So I think that pretty much covers it today. We know that the market is softening. We know that some markets are softer than others. Some are still in massive seller controlled, like out in Virginia run. Um, Vienna's softening under a million, still pretty good over a million. Um, and we know that the inventory is growing fast under a million in Vienna, not so fast over, over a million. And again, those charts I can send out if you, if you email me at Casey at CaseySampson.com um, or call me at 703-508-2535. Anytime you're thinking about selling a house or any of you realtors are, are working with a seller, you need to know what percentage of homes in this market, 100,000 up, 100,000 below, a little bigger, a little smaller, within one mile radius of your house, same school district, what's that look like? So for $800,000 houses, there's 10 on the market, nine are under contract, we're in good shape. If there's 10 houses on the market and two are under contract, we got a problem. I mean, it's just an inventory problem and we got to get through it. So let's not get too aggressive on that, right? So anyways, know your markets before you get on the, the thing. Uh, do not go exclusive with anyone. Make sure you have a massive amount of, of exposure of your listings. It's got to be online. It's got to be to the realtors. It's got to be to the uh, neighbors and it has to be to the renters. You got to hit them all. You're never sure where that one person's going to pay you that $150,000 premium is going to come from. We didn't even get to pricing America's largest house. Gosh, darn it. I got to get to this settlement, but let me tell you how we did it real quick. I walk into the Biltmore Estate. This is the largest home in America. This is 175,000 square feet, right? So 35 bedrooms, 48, da, 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 da. How do you price a house like this? How in the hell do you do it? It's easy. It's easy. There's three evaluations that you make on a, on a, on a home, right? On a property, a residential, pro residential property. There is the comparable approach, which is what everybody does. Um, um, what are houses of like kind, like size, like price range? You know, if I compare myself to them, 
what am I worth? That's the comparable. That is 99% of all that we do. The other one is the replacement cost. What would it cost to replace this house? Now, in some cases, like over on Air Hill, I did that. I said, the lot would have, today would cost you a million dollars. Cost Tommy a million dollars to build this house, okay? And the landscaping is 150,000. You gotta, to recreate this is 2.15 million because I was trying to get 1.75 million out of it and the appraisal was coming in at 1.6. So I said, nope. I used the replacement approach to arrive at our number. And that's how I argued what that house is, is, is worth, what is valued at. So, and that worked and that works. So sometimes you do have to go with that. But for the Biltmore Estate, they have 1.5 million visitors. The third method was the method of choice. And that is called the income approach. It's more of a commercial thing, but they have 1.5 million people walk through that house. Everybody's paying 65 bucks. We're all eating ice cream and drinking Cokes and eating a chili and a corn dog out on the, out on the side. So if you look at what that house, the income that's coming in and you apply a 10 to 12% um, profit, which is what most things are gonna operate on. So let's say, you know, it's gonna make $100 million a year in income. It's gonna cost $90 million to run it. That's 10,000 or $10 million a year in profit. What would a fund that buys real estate and wants a cap rate, profit margin, profit rate, a cap rate of 4%, what would that be worth? Well, 10 million with a cap rate of 4% comes out at about $250 million. So I said it's 250 and if I'm wrong, you know, it's 250 to 3 million, but my advice to the sellers would be keep it under 2.5 because that's where the bigger buyer pool is. But um, so my thought was 250. So then I started researching and finding out did anybody else price this house? The one appraisal that was done by their county is it 100 million. So I claimed they were off. Then I found an assessment or a, an analyzation by the Associated Press done two years ago at, and I'm not putting appreciation rate on it. And they said, just under 300 million. So we're close. We're about 250 million for the Biltmore. So when they do want to sell, we need to make some modifications. It's a little dark. It's a little dated. Um, it's just it's just too dark. We'd have to make some kind of uh, uh, current upgrades in order for us to market that house. But uh, I think it's numbers to 250 million dollars, and that's how I arrived at it. And uh, because that's what I do, I need to know what everything is worth. <laughs> I mean, I always. If I walk into a house, I need to know what the exact price, not the estimate, I need to know what that damn house is worth. And that's what we do. My name is Casey Sampson. I'm at Casey at CaseySampson.com. Check out my website, CaseySampson.com. Julie does a wonderful job updating that with blogs and things like that. Or you can call me, 703-508-2535. Thanks. We'll see you again next week. Bye now.